Today's reading is from Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. <clears throat> For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend in all the saints what is breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Get this out here as well. Thank you, Zulai, for reading and for Mark and for Justin sharing, for Tina and Zach leading. It, 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 I love getting to watch God work through his people here and, and get to see my friends have God work through them. It, it's so fun to be able to experience that and witness that. Um, it, it's also good to see that you guys are here. You guys are rested up. I know most of you probably got up at 2 yesterday to watch the royal wedding. Um, so I'm glad that you guys actually made it to church. Um, it's good to have you here. Well, we're continuing in the book of Ephesians, and we're coming on uh, something that happens in Paul often. If you read some of Paul's letters, you'll notice that there's oftentimes this rhythm that he'll have. He'll be talking for a while about um, whether it's some aspect of God or how it interacts with the church. And he'll, I, the way I understand it, the way I think of it, is that he gets to this point where he's just so overwhelmed with the beauty and the glory of God, that he is so overwhelmed by the power of what kind of God is speaking through him that he just has to pray, that he just has to stop and pray. And what we're going to be looking at this week and next week is one of those prayers, that after all of what we've talked about in the book of Ephesians, he gets to this point where he just says, he just kind of stops and he prays for the Ephesian church. And one of the things that I mentioned last week that we've talked about is that this prayer is really actually, if you're looking at the flow of how it works in Ephesians, that what's happening here is this is a prayer in response to what he sums up at the end of chapter 2. That everything kind of up until this point, because he, you see at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he stops and then he goes off on this long tangent, which was a very important tangent, which we've been talking about the last few weeks. And then he picks it back up. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in verse 14. Because it's been a few weeks since we actually looked at chapter 2, I wanted to begin by reading this, by reading chapter 2 to set up kind of the context of Paul's prayer. What is it that he's responding to? What is it that drives him ultimately to his knees to pray for this church? So please, uh, you can follow along. I'm going to read through chapter 2. It says this, And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now let's jump to verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit and your inner being, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The reason I wanted to read all of that is because I think it's important that we see a bigger picture of what Paul is doing. By the end of chapter 2, after talking about how the fact that we were once dead and God brought us back to life through his grace and through his power, that he not only reconciled us to him, but he is reconciling us to one another through his spirit, he ends with a very common metaphor for him, which is the fact that, he is, that God, through his spirit, through what he accomplished through Christ, is building us into a temple. 
that he is building us into a temple. And what I think we see in verse 14 of chapter 3 is, is very similar to a prayer of dedication to the temple. So we see this happen throughout the Old Testament. Whenever a temple or a tabernacle is established, there's oftentimes a filling that happens and a prayer that follows, asking very similar things. When the tabernacle was completed in Exodus chapter 40, God comes and fills the tabernacle and Moses prays a similar prayer. When the temple is completed in 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon finishes that, Solomon prays a similar prayer and God comes and he fills the temple. And even in the book of Acts, when the new temple, the church, was formed, God came down and filled it. This new temple, this very same thing, and Peter prays very similar things. There's kind of this consistency to this prayer of dedication when a temple is recognized that has been established, that these three things are prayed for, that there is a request that God would dwell within this temple, that God would dwell, that he would fill the temple with his goodness, with his glory, with his presence, and that ultimately he would strengthen the people to live out the calling that they're called to. You see this consistently throughout it, and I think Paul is just reiterating that same prayer that he would pray over any of God's temples, that in the same way God came and filled the tabernacle and dwelled with his people, the same way that God filled the temple and dwelled with his people, that he would come and fill the church and dwell with his people and give them the strength to ultimately live out the calling that they're called to. And that's when we get to this prayer of, uh, of dedication. In chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. As I was thinking about kind of how we're going to preach this and how, how to communicate this, I was reminded of a story Eugene Peterson told. One of his parishioners came to him one day and said, hey, I would really love to learn to pray. And Eugene Peterson said, you know, we've got a, actually a great class for that. Um, and he starts to tell him, he says, you know, you'd come and you get to, it happens every week and, and you get to come and you get to hear God's word. You get to respond to it regularly. It happens in a bunch of different forms and media and, and, and all of these different things. And you, you, just by coming regularly and participating in this, you will learn to pray and you will grow in prayer. And the guy was like, that sounds great. When can I come? He's like, well, it's Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. I'd love to have you there. I think there's something about this time together that should be teaching us not just how to understand God's word, but how to pray in, in response to it. And I was thinking about that as we looked at this, and I, and I guess I just felt this burden that really the better way to understand and relate to this passage is not so much to preach it, but for us to pray it. So that's what we're going to be doing the rest of the service. We're not going to, I'll explain and do a little bit of context to make sure we kind of understand the nature of some of the metaphors that are being used. But for the most part, I've invited some of the elders and and some of the deacons here at our church to pray this prayer, that we've kind of reimagined what would this prayer look like in the context of our church. And I want to invite you guys to pray this with us. Um, Paul Miller on prayer always says that the best way to learn to pray is to pray. And so hopefully... This is a time where we can really relate to this through the way Paul is praying for his church 
and the way we're going to pray for our church. And it starts with Paul recognizing the nature of who God truly is. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He begins by recognizing that God is the God over all people. There's not some proprietary relationship that certain people have with God, but God is the God and Father of all. Every, every name in heaven and on earth has its origin in God. And he begins by recognizing that that is the God that we're talking about in prayer. And as we do this, I want to remind us that that's who we're talking to, that that God came to us in prayer. I want to invite Steve up, and he's going to uh, begin by praying this first section. Holy Spirit, we can feel so weary from the weight of sin and so weak towards the regular temptations and pressures of everyday life. Whether it's the constant pressure to perform for our friends, family, and coworkers, or the constant fear of letting people down, we feel ill-equipped for the calling you've beckoned us to. The influence of our culture is strong and pervasive. The brokenness of our own histories and relationships seems overwhelming. The seduction of living in the American dream of success, comfort, beauty, and wealth is so tempting. The desire to despair when confronted with the vanity of life is almost unavoidable. This is why we need your strength, Holy Spirit. We need you to pull from the riches of your glory and fill our empty accounts. On our own, we are not equipped to be the people you've asked us to be. We don't have the courage to love like you. We don't have the wisdom to engage like you. We don't have the compassion to serve like you. And we don't have the righteousness to proclaim your truth. But you do, Lord God, and so we do as you empower us. Give us courage and strength. Give us power to stand in the face of evil and confront it with your presence and love. Help us to be a temple for you, a place of true worship, praising the only true God while we are surrounded by false temples of idols. And God, don't just work on the surface in our community. Get to our heart, not just as individuals, but all of us together. Reconcile us where there are divisions. Give us humility in how we treat one another. Give us eyes that see the world the way you see it. Give us the fortitude to live out the law of love and the grace to walk in repentance when we fail. Give us integrity in our inner beings that can withstand the worst that Satan can do. You are the God over all things. Every tribe, tongue, and nation has its source in you. Every power in the world is submitted to you, and you reign victoriously. Please strengthen us with power in our inner beings. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Paul continues after, after saying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He continues, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
You know, I remember uh, how different it was when Lauren and I were dating versus when we got married of what it was like to have her come over to my house when we were dating versus being married. I remember specifically a futon that I had. Um, I thought it was awesome. I thought, what a practical piece of furniture to have in your house. It's a couch and it's a bed. What a wonderful addition that this would make to any household and any home. You know, and, and I kept thinking this, and, and you know, when Lauren and I were dating, she would come over and you know, the futon would be there and there wouldn't really be much conversation about it. And I just, I guess, assumed that the futon would make the moving truck when we moved in together. Um, but what you find when you dwell with somebody as opposed to just kind of visit, uh, things are a little different in that context. And let's just say the futon never made it to the new house, this crown jewel of my furniture uh, uh, makeup that I had never made it. And, and, and what we experience is what I think a lot of us understand, that dwelling with somebody is very different from visiting somebody. There's a, there's a facade that we can put up when people are just visiting. There, we put our best foot forward. But when you dwell with people, when you actually live with one another it's hard to put that foot forward all the time. And eventually, people see the real you. And that's what Paul is asking in this context, that, that, that this would not be a time when God would visit his people, but that he would dwell with his people. That he would come in to his church and dwell within us. That he would move in. That, that this would be a shared experience. And all of the realities that come with that so I'd like to invite Anne, one of our deacons, to come and pray that this would be true in our church as well. Lord Jesus, we are afraid of the disruption you will cause by dwelling in us. There are things inside of us that we don't want people to know about. We're filled with fear, shame, guilt, lust, covetousness, greed, prejudice, and more. There are secrets locked away in hidden closets that we don't want anyone, especially you, to find. A part of us only wants you in certain rooms, the rooms with windows that we have kept clean because they're exposed. We are comfortable with you visiting, but terrified of you fully moving in. We feel the vulnerability that comes with exposure. Oh, Jesus, we know that the junk we've hidden in our homes is keeping us in bondage. And the only way for us to experience true freedom is for you to fully dwell within us. Please move in us completely. Expose all of our fears, regrets, shame, sin, and hatred, and clean us in a way only you can. With you dwelling in our house, the walls will be filled with joy, the table overflowing from contentment, the rooms flooded with the light of your grace. Dwell in redemption, Arcadia, completely, and transform us by your presence. We pray that not only would you dwell in the home of this church, but in the homes of us attending here. And for those of us who are single and living on our own, or with roommates, we ask that you please dwell in us, exposing those things that lead to death, 
and bringing about true life in you. And for the newly married, we pray that you would move into every part of our marriages and not leave one closet still locked. Be present in us as we step into the beautiful and challenging realities of marriage. For families with children, both young and old, we pray that you would be at the center of our families. We ask that you would mediate between all the personalities and failures that come into a home and bring about real peace in the midst of the seeming chaos of raising and launching kids into the world. And for those with broken homes, Father, we pray that you would bring the healing and grace only you can bring. We pray that you rebuild the parts of the house that are broken and sit with us in the sorrow of loss and regret. God, we pray that you would not just visit us, but that you would dwell within us, move in completely, and change everything about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ann. Um, as he continues, he, he, he begins to talk about the, the foundational aspects of what he hopes the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus, will be built on. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, my second son, Hayes, um, particularly has really gotten into gardening lately. Uh, he has some of his grandfather's genes. I am what Jim Gaffigan calls indoorsy, so I don't do a whole lot of things outdoorsy, but my, my son loves it. He, he'll go out there every morning, he'll water it, he'll be looking, I'll just see him literally staring at dirt for minutes on end, looking to see if a sprout comes up with such joy and such excitement. It's really fun to watch him, but it's taken a while for him to get the nature of gardening. I remember at first what he would do is he would just find seeds and just find a spot in the yard and just start to dig and plant it there. So I'm pretty sure we're going to have like a watermelon plant growing out of our front yard at some point in time in our life. You know, and he, you know, he, I think last week we had a seeded grape, which I'm not sure why they sell those, by the way. Why do they even have those at the store? But we accidentally bought a seeded grape, and he took it, and he actually put the grape in the ground, thinking, okay, this is going to grow. So he's got some work to do. But fortunately, his, his grandfather, my father-in-law, um, also loves to garden. And when he came, he taught my son a valuable lesson that if you don't deal with the soil properly, nothing will grow. And if they grow, it really won't grow right. And particularly here in Arizona, where the ground hates plants, um, you really have to do a lot of work. And so they would till the soil, they, they put all the stuff in there, and they're starting to see actual plants grow out of the ground, and it's really exciting. I think this is what Paul is talking about. Paul, in this whole thing, is doing what he does a lot of times. He's mixing metaphors, where at the same time he's talking about building a temple, he's also talking about growing a temple, Growing this church, growing this body. And what he's praying here is that the foundation, the, the soil that our faith is planted in is love. We see this elsewhere in Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, after in, in, ver, in chapter 12, talking about all the various spiritual gifts that God gives, that people manifest, that they, they participate in, he kind of takes a step back and says, and by the way, 
if any of this stuff is happening outside of the context of, of love, outside of the context of God's love and our love for one another, then he describes it as a clanging symbol, which if you've ever been around somebody who's just clanging a symbol, is really annoying. So what he's saying is that if this is being built, if we are doing all of the right things but doing it without love as our foundation, the soil in which it's planted, that we are obnoxious, both to each other, to God, and to the world. And so what he's saying, what he's praying, is that above all things that we would be rooted and grounded in the soil of God's love. I want to invite Keely up, and she's going to pray that this would be true. By the way, these prayers, if, if you're interested, will be found on our website after this. We live in a world of transactions. We pay for goods and services. We pay for experiences and materials. We pay for status and success. And in a world of transactions, it's easy to begin to treat those around us the same way. Oftentimes, the purest form of love we experience is self-love, and we make everyone servant to that love. We see the destruction that comes from a world without true and godly love. We see the effects of being self-serving, of treating people as a means to an end of manipulation, and we regret that we participate in that kind of love. But Father, your love is not like that. You loved us even when we were against you and couldn't serve you. You love us when we rebel and continually fail. You've brought us into a relationship we can't get out of, and you are, um, we can't get out of, and you are beloved children regardless of our actions. Father, we need that kind of love to dwell in us. Help our church, our families, and our relationships connected to this church to be rooted in that kind of love you've shown. We pray that you would make your steadfast, never giving up love, the foundation we build of our, on our lives. Give us joy in serving our friends and our family members and putting their needs before our own. Give us peace when we step into vulnerable situations where our love may not be reciprocated. Give us patience as we walk through the heartache that comes from the broken love of the world. And give us courage as we seek to love our enemies. We know that if your love is not the foundation of the temple you're building, then nothing else matters. Please, root us and ground us in your love. Amen. Amen. Well, as he continues, after saying being rooted and grounded in love, he says may have, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth assumed in there as of your love and of your presence. One of the things that you begin to see when you read Paul, and really read anybody writing in the New Testament, is that for them, the resurrection was as real as the nose on their face. Like, they lived in a world where they believed fully that when you died, you were resurrected with Christ. 
that those who believed in him, those who had faith in him, were present and alive with Christ. And that there was going to be come a day when God would make all things new and the resurrected would live in that world. To them, it was as real as anything else in the world. And I think we see that reality come through when he's praying this. Because he says that, that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I think what he's saying there is that we would have strength to comprehend what all the people who are now living in the resurrection already know. That we would have eyes to see in faith what they get to see by sight, which is the vastness of the glory and the magnitude of God, the depth and the height of his love, the the breadth of his mercy and grace. That we would develop eyes that can actually see what the saints get to see on a regular basis, that we would see God's love, God's glory, God's goodness, God's vastness in all of it. I think that this is one of the things that I've been most convicted of in preparing for this, is how little my view of God oftentimes is. And it's not that we as his children can't come before him with our petty smallness. I love that my kids can talk to me about things that I don't care about, that I think are silly, but that they still feel comfortable talking to me about it. And that's okay, but if we stop there, and, and I find that if I, if I only stop there and forget that God is a big God, God is a God who has incre- like, is powerful over all things, can do and accomplish all things, I think if I truly believe that, I would pray differently. And so this is, I think, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that they would pray differently, that they would understand the nature of God differently. And I want to invite Mark up, who's also one of our deacons, to pray that that would be true in the life of this church. Everything in heaven and on earth finds its origin in you. You are above creation, before creation, and beyond creation. You can't be found by the most powerful telescope, and the most powerful microscope can't find a detail of your creation that you didn't know about and intend. Everything about you is greater than our minds comprehend, including the vision you have for a reconciled community and eternal kingdom. You have formed a kingdom out of every nation, not just a few. You're building a community out of all types of people, not just the elite. You have chosen what is small to overcome what is big, what is foolish to confound the wise, and have brought about the renewal of all things through the life, death, and resurrection of your son. With the routine of everyday life, it is so easy to develop a small view of the world and a small view of you as you interact in the world. There's a pettiness in our requests that betray a deeper misunderstanding of the height and depth and breadth and length of who you are and how you envision your church to be. We ask small things of a big God, and we pray that you would forgive us for our small-sightedness. It takes courage, Lord, to even try to fathom the vastness of who you are and your love. It's easier to think of you as small because then you can be something we can control, but you are not small. Lord, we ask that you give us the strength and courage to treat you like you actually are the God of the universe who is reigning over all things. 
we pray that you would give us eyes to see the beautiful and vast vision you have for your people and to have the strength to settle for nothing less than the glory set before us. Amen. Amen. As he continues in his prayer, he says this. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I hope we see the paradox in this. That he's asking us to know something that goes beyond knowledge. That something that goes beyond what we can even truly comprehend. You know, the only way I can even begin to relate to this, uh, my wife and I are celebrating 10 years in July, which is awesome. Woo! I did that earlier, and it made it sound like I was being facetious. I'm not. It's great, you know, and it's been wonderful. And, and as I think about this, you know, when Lauren and I began dating, and Frank will talk about this a lot, how you really don't really understand love and marital love until you've been married for like 10 years. And that's when you can really begin to do that. And I think that that's been true. I think Lauren had me figured out like within five minutes. So she had me nailed, you know, from the beginning. But it's taken me this long to really, I think, understand this knowledge that goes beyond knowledge. You know, when we first met each other, we, we knew facts about each other. We had an intention of our love for each other. Um, but we're to a point now where without knowing how something's going to play out or how she'll respond to something, I know how something will play out and how she'll respond to something. We know that because we've spent that kind of time together. We've, we've, we, know without, we know beyond knowing the way we, each other will interact in certain circumstances, what will kind of be things that we like, don't like, all of those things. And I think that that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is asking for. He's not asking for something impossible. He's asking for something that goes beyond, I think, our paradigm of what it means to know something. Because we can look in the Bible and we can know the facts about God's love. And yes, we should look in the Bible and know the facts of God's love. That God created mankind and, and brought us into this earth. That he uh, rescued Israel out of Egypt and brought them into their own land, that he established a king over them, that he, through Christ he became the Messiah and saved and redeemed his people and did all of these things, that his love has been shown through his actions over time. But the way we know that is not through studying it in the Bible, but by spending time with him. And I think that that's Paul's prayer is that we would know God not through the studied facts that we can pull from here, but that we would know God the same way we know one another, the same way we know a, a, a friend that we've had for a long time, a spouse, a child. That that kind of knowledge would exist within the relationship between God and his people. So I want to invite Steve back up to pray that that would be true within the life of this church. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, our God, three in one, in your very nature is modeled a love that goes beyond what can be known and understood in this world. 
at the very center of your being is a perfectly loving relationship. And what makes even less sense is that you would take the love you have within your own self and pour it out on us while we were still in rebellion against you. Through Christ, you have shown us a love that we could never have known on our own. You love us when we are far from you and in sin. You love us when we are near and seeking. You love us when we're confused and frustrated with you. You love us when we are rejoicing in the obvious work we witness in our life and the people around us. You love us when we feel like you are silent. You love us when we suffer loss, when we make mistakes, and when we blatantly rebel. You love us through family chaos and brokenness. You love us in the isolation of depression and anxiety. You love us whether we've known you our entire lives or just met you through your calling. You love us with a perfection that can never be replicated in our own relationship. And we know all this because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we ask you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there would not be one moment in a day where we don't fully feel and know the depths and certainty of your love for us. Please allow your love to heal the wounds we carry with us and set your love as a guide for how we navigate through the world. We know that perfect love casts out fear, so make us unafraid in the confidence of your love toward us. Let us live in the freedom of being fully loved and fully known. Thank you for your love. Open up our eyes to know and experience the love that is at its core unknowable and too big to fully experience. Amen. Amen. Well, as Paul comes to a close in this prayer, even though we're, we're going to be looking at the other two verses next week, but in, in this part, I want to remind us of the temple imagery. So we've seen this, this is very much so what Paul, Paul is praying in line with what Solomon prayed, with what Moses prayed, with what Ezra prayed that God would dwell with his people, that he would fill his church, and that ultimately that we would have the strength and power to live out the calling that comes with being a part of God's temple. And here he, he does this at the end where he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what's interesting is the way he's putting this, although he's asking God to fill us, and it's a request that I think we should ask, we, we will pray there's also a reality that this is something that God has already done. God has filled his church. We know that because in the book of Acts, that's what happens. You know, today is Pentecost Sunday, which is where we remember the day of Pentecost, when God came and dwelled with his people, when he filled his temple, his, the church. So there's a reality that this is true whether we believe it or not. And so what, when we ask that God would fill us, when we ask that we would experience the fullness of God, it's not asking God to do something he hasn't done. It's asking him to open our eyes to the reality of what's already here. That God has filled his temple. God has filled us with all the fullness of God and all the implications that come with that. So I want to close by praying in this last prayer. And then we're going to continue in our worship. So please pray this with me. We are your temple. You have built us together into a house for your spirit to dwell in. 
you have done so by reconciling us first to you and then to one another through your presence. And now we are one church, one temple, one body, with you as head over and above all things. Now fill us, Lord. Fill Redemption Arcadia with every bit of you. Fill us with your justice and your mercy. Fill us with your love and compassion. Fill us with a passion for your law and a passion for your kindness. Fill us with all of you. Be present in this church and dwell in us. Don't leave us when we sin, but draw near to us. Don't abandon us to our own strength, but empower us in our weakness. Don't forget us when we suffer, but hold us in your comforting arms. You have built your church. Now fill us, Lord, with all your fullness. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our